0: Hey everyone, I'm Joel and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now let's prepare our hearts for what we're about to hear. Hey Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you could be with us today as we continue our series on the names of God. I hope that every week that you have been understanding, experiencing more of the nature and the character of God. Do you know when you meet someone, what's one of the first questions you ask? You say, well, what's your name? And that's how friendships and relationships begin. Most of us have more than one name, depending on the relationship of the person addressing us. Our names tell us who we are to that person. I know that my kids have three official names, a first, a middle, and a last. They actually have about four or five unique names that I call them as a sign of affection and love towards them And who they are to me and similarly the names of God have uh, He has many names that reveal who he is to us and who he desires to be for us in our lives And so this morning we're going to look at the name of God Yahweh or Jehovah Nisi Which means the Lord is my banner and the passage that we're going to look at is Exodus 17 And it's the only place that this name of God is mentioned So as we begin, would you join with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us. God, we thank you that you reveal yourself with many names, revealing who you are and your character for us. Lord, we thank you, you're a good and gracious God. And as we look at your word today, help us to know more about you, but also to experience you in a deeper and a tangible way. We ask in Jesus' name we pray. You know it's been said that life is a series of battles either you have just finished fighting one or you're in the middle of one Or you are actually entering or heading into a new one Conflict is part of reality the nature of reality of life, and there's no way around it And that's why James writes in James 1 verse 2 consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds now James doesn't say if But he actually says, when you face them, there's a certainty that all of us are going to face many kinds of trials, different types of trials. And so in our text today in Exodus 17, Israel was traveling in the desert and arrived at a place called Rephidim. And once again, there was no water and the people were complaining. And they once again complained to Moses in verse three, it says, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, it's interesting to witness that in every new trial that Israel faced after they left Egypt, it brought out the worst in them. They had failed this test once before, and so God had to test them again. And he had already proved that he was able to provide food and water for them, and yet they were quarreling with Moses. Why? Because their hearts were still in Egypt. They were guilty of ingratitude and unbelief, and they wanted to go back to their old life, and as a result, they failed to pass the test. You know, every difficulty God permits us to encounter will either become a test to make us better or a temptation that can make us worse. And it's actually our attitude that determines what what it will be. Remember the story that was told about a builder? He was a very successful builder, and he... Uh, was retiring he went to his boss one day and said boss. I'm, I'm done I've built all these houses for you made a lot of money. I'm gonna retire and enjoy my grandkids His boss was a little bit disappointed and sad because he was a great builder that generated a lot of revenue and said, you know c- Can I ask you a favor? Can you build me one more house? And the builder was a little perturbed a little annoyed said like I've decided to retire and you're asking me to build one more house but out of kindness towards the boss he did it but yet Though he agreed, internally he was, little, he was upset, he was bitter, he was angry, and he was frustrated. And so he started to build his, this home. But because of the attitude of his heart, he, st- he just made shortcuts. So the hot water was cold and the cold water was hot. The light switches didn't work all the time. Uh, the drywall wasn't pasted and plastered well. Um, the flooring wasn't put well. So there was a lot of inconsistencies that were done that normally he didn't do before because he built quality homes. So the day came when he finished this home and he was uh, meeting with the boss. And he came and he showed the boss the home, and he he gave him the keys and he said, "Here are the keys to this home." And the boss said, "Thank you for all the years that you have built this home, uh, built homes for me and." Helped our company to grow and as a sign of gratitude and a sign of thankfulness. I'd like to Give you this home that you built as a gift And he took the keys back and he gave it back to the builder and said this is your new home Can you imagine how stunned he would have been and you know it's so it is with us We build when we build our lives in a distracted way reacting rather than acting willing to put up less than the best it's, and we don't give our best effort in our jobs. And one day we'll be shocked to realize that the house we built in and we wish for is actually very different than what we expected. So think of yourself as that carpenter or builder. Think about your house that each day that you hammer a nail or place a board or erect a wall, build wisely because it will be the only life, the only house you'll ever get to build. Someone once said, Your life today is a result of your attitude and your choices of the past. And your life tomorrow will be the result of your attitude and your choices you make today. Let me say that again. Your life today is a result of your attitude and your choices in the past. And your life tomorrow will be a result of your attitude and your choices that you make today. Charles Wendell said this. I I love this quote. He said, the longer I live, the, the more I realize the impact of attitude on my life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past and education than money than circumstances than failure than success than what any other people might think or say or do. It's more important than appearance or gift or skill. It will make or break a company, a church or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding our attitude that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the past and we cannot change the fact that the way people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the string that we have, and that is our attitude. He says, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you and with me. We are in charge of our attitudes. You know, when we start complaining or blaming God, the temptation for us is that we will be trapped in that temptation, and that will rob us of the opportunity to grow spiritually. But if we trust God and let him have his way in our life then the trials that we face will work for us Not against us and will help us to grow James 1 verse 12 says God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation and he says afterward They will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him You know when we lose our connection with God and become angry and bitter we tend to do two things One is we tend to do unreasonable things. And the second is we make the situation worse. And in the case of Israel, they wanted to stone their leader, Moses. You know, just imagine going from not having water to stoning or desiring to kill their leader, that's pretty extreme. And then Moses responds in verse four, it says, Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? And in verse five and six, the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of them of the people Take your staff, the one you used to strike the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, water will come gushing out, and the people will be able to drink. And so Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. This rock is a type of Jesus, smitten on the cross for us. And the water is a type of the Holy Spirit whose coming was made possible through the death resurrection and ascension to heaven God who provided physical water for their physical thirst today through Christ and the Holy Spirit provides for our spiritual hunger and thirst in verse 7 Moses named the place Massa which means test and Meribah which means arguing because the people of Israel argued with Moses And tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? You know, the people had not realized or learned that God tests his people in everyday situations and everyday experiences in life. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Maybe what you and I are going through today is actually a test. A test to expose our faith and character. A test to strengthen our faith and character. So the question we should actually ask ourselves is, are we passing Or are we failing the test? The test shows that we fail a test when we question God's presence with us. That's what the text is trying to speak to us. It's saying, if we fail the test, a primary indicator is when we question God's presence with us. There's one thing, though, we should never doubt. And I hope as much as we can, I know it's difficult, we should never doubt, is that God is with us. He promises, and scripture says, I will never leave you nor forsake." And I want to tell you that this morning. Never doubt God's presence in your life. Yes, it may be painful. Yes, it may be difficult. But as much as you can, steer your thoughts to realize God is there with you in your trial. Though Israel's faith was weak, though they complained, though they murmured, God didn't give up on them and continue to care for them, continue to lead them, continue to guide them. Yet they also had many more tests that was going to come ahead of them. And so on the map of our own lives, how many places should be actually named Massa and Meribah on our lives? Because the way we have complained about the circumstances and that we failed to trust God. I know in my life, I've had many tests that I've failed. And I look back and, 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 and wonder and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. And so I'm cognizant as we move forward, as we move forward in life, to realize where the testings come, to trust and know that God is with us. Corey Ten Boom once said, don't bother to give God instructions, just report for duty. You know, we often want to tell God what to do, rather than surrender and trust with what God wants to do. You know, very often, we, we pray to inform God. So we shouldn't pray to inform God, we should pray To Involve God. There's a difference. We we think Prayer is just to inform God, but scripture always says God already knows before we even ask But the purpose of prayer is not just information giving its involvement We genuinely experience surrender and trust when we pray to involve God in our lives to ask him To invite him into our situation into our trial into our circumstance And so how is our prayer life? Is our prayer life purely informational and instructional, telling God, do this, do this? Or is our prayer life invitational, inviting God's presence into our lives to involve Him into our circumstances? In verse 8, it says, While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. So they just finished this one experience, and soon after they experienced the blessing of God, experiencing fresh, clean water, quenching their thirst, they faced another challenge. Probably sooner than they expected and this time it was a physical enemy and a physical battle You know life can be like that at times as soon as we finish one challenge or trial or test another one immediately happens Sometimes we feel like there's no break no rest between trials. It, it can often feel overwhelming Do you remember the story of Job in one day four different people came to Job and bringing bad news? Just imagine if you were in a situation a knock Sorry, Job Your your houses have been destroyed Next knock sorry, Job all your cattle has been taken away. Sorry, Job all of your other livestock have been destroyed And then the final knock which was the most heartbreaking sorry, Job Your children have died. Can you imagine one after the other in one day? He lost it It's just hard to imagine How he would have felt and how we would experience such tragedy and travesty in such a short period of time one after the other And then in verse 9, after realizing now a battle was about to ensue, Moses commanded Joshua, said, Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. Now, there's no record that Israel ever had to fight any battles in Egypt. However, once they left Egypt, they were delivered from bondage and slavery. But they soon discovered they had many enemies and they had to learn to fight. You know, in the Christian life, once we identify ourselves with Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as we become followers of him, catch this, his enemies become our enemies. And then, as Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, we must learn to fight the good fight of faith. And that is why sometimes we may experience more trials after becoming a follower of Jesus, and sometimes life actually becomes harder after you follow Christ. Because Christ's enemies become our enemies. And so also the enemy often attacks Christ's followers after they experience a special blessing or a fulfillment of promise. Do you remember in scripture when after his victory over the four kings that Abraham was tempted to take the spoils? Or after the victory of Jericho, Joshua became overconfident and was defeated at Ai. Or after Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, he became discouraged and was tempted to quit. Or after the blessings of the baptism of Jesus, Jesus was immediately led into the wilderness to be tempted and went through uh, his own trial and temptations. So we should always be prepared to face challenges after blessings. Every mountaintop, remember, has a valley beside it. Now, the Amalekites were a desert region nomadic people, often hostile to Israel, Gideon fought against them in the Midianites in Judges 6, verse 7. Eventually David fought against them in 1 Samuel 27:8. And like the Philistine, the Amalekites were some of Israel's perpetual enemies. So it would come at one after the other. They just constantly bother them. And then Saul fought with them, and he was commanded to eradicate them completely. But he didn't. And because of that, he lost his throne due to obedience and failure to obey God's instruction. Some believe the Amalekites were the descendants of Esau who opposed the children of Jacob or Israel and threatened to annihilate them. They would leave for a season, the Amalekites, but then would come back and fight Israel for another day. And then they would leave and come back, this perpetual battle. The Amalekites can represent our old nature, the world, the flesh, the devil, who are our perpetual enemies. We will always, through this life, battle against the flesh, battle against the enemy, battle against the world. And in our text, the children of Israel did not attack the Amalekites. The Amalekites came and attacked Israel. The Amalekites fought to keep Israel from realizing the blessings that God had promised them in the land of Canaan and to deter them from God's purposes. The Amalekites can represent anyone or anything that tries to deter us from the purpose of God for your life and entrap us into some besetting sin or the work of the flesh or a negative thought pattern that keeps you from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has promised us. In Exodus 17, 10 to 11, in this story, Moses now goes up to the top of the hill with Aaron and Hur while Joshua is sent to lead the armies in battle against the Amalekites. Now, it's interesting to know this is the first time Joshua's name is mentioned in the Bible. Now, he'll be mentioned about 200 times thereafter, but the first time Joshua is mentioned. Joshua was born in Egypt. His name was Hosea, which means salvation. Moses changed the name to Joshua means Jehovah is salvation, which is the Hebrew equivalent of Jesus. Now, Joshua knew the difficulty of Egyptian slavery because he was born there and must have had an aptitude for military leadership for Moses to make him the general of the army. Now, Joshua only had one day to rally the army and prepare them for an attack, but he did it. And so Moses now goes up, takes the staff of God, or the rod or staff, as we see, is very significant in the book of Exodus. It is where Moses used this rod or staff to lead the children of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness of Canaan. In the hand of Moses, the staff represents the authority and the power of God to provide for and to protect his people. Do you remember when Moses met God at the burning bush, when he carried that rod or that staff, he carried it. He, he used to use it for climbing. He used it to protect against wild animals, to guard the sheep. But at the burning bush, God told him to take that rod and put it on the ground, and it became a serpent. That rod was also used to turn the water into blood and also to bring the plagues upon Egypt. It, it was used to divide the Red Sea. It was used to bring water from the rock, and now we will see how it will be used to bring victory over the Amalekites. Now, it's interesting to note in this chapter that Moses' staff is now called the staff of God. As Moses surrendered his life to God and became obedient, greater power and authority was given to Moses through his journey. And in verses 10 to 13, we discover that Moses raised his hands with the staff in his hands, and the children of Israel prevailed. As long as his hands were up and the staff in his hand, they prevailed. But when his hands grew weary and when he got tired and lowered his hands, the Amalekites prevailed. And we see the seesaw battle happening until Aaron and Hur decide to take Moses, sit him on a rock, and stood on either side of him, holding up his hands with the staff uplifted. Israel's great victory of the Amalekites involved three elements first, the power of God in heaven, second, the skill of Joshua and the army in the battlefield. And third, the intercession of Moses, Aaron, and Her at the top of the hill. You know, God could have sent an angel to annihilate the enemy completely, like he did against the, uh, against the Assyrians in Isaiah 37. But along with his power and grace and he his gifts, he actually designs human beings to be instruments to accomplish his purposes. Joshua and his armies would trust God and fight. Moses and his friends would trust God and intercede and God would do the rest in This way God's people would grow in faith and God's name would be glorified now Joshua couldn't have Succeeded without Moses Moses couldn't have succeeded without Aaron and her one of the key lessons we learned from this story is that when we are facing battles in life We need each other we need community God is looking for people who will support and share with each other in our battles and in our victories. We need those who will stand with us and speak words of encouragement when we are about to give up on the battlefield. We need those who will lift us up and will care for us and pray for us and for when we're weak will seek us out to support us. Who are those people in your life? And that is why at Sanctus, we talk about our discipleship dimensions, and one of them is connecting small. And it's so vital to be part of a connect group where there are people who can rally around you when we are in weak or when we're in need. That is why we have prayer teams and prayer leaders in the front after services and even online that are available to connect with you and to pray with you. That's why we have our pastors and ministry leaders there to support and help you to pray with you and support in our time of need. And so we need community. And I'd like to demonstrate that to you today through this demonstration. I have here a piece of paper and this stack of paper. The stack of paper can speak to us of the trials, the difficulties, the weight of life. And I'm gonna see if this piece of paper can handle carrying this stack. Figured it won't. And on our own, trying to carry the weight of life, the battles against the enemy, The challenges, uh, struggles against sin, the flesh, the world, the devil. It's pretty overwhelming. It's pretty insurmountable to do it alone. But we're thankful that God has not called us to live alone. And so what this one paper, if I take this one paper and actually now make it into many single circle paper strips here, When we're living in community, when we're living as has God called us, as a church community, as a body, as a group of people living and doing life together, following, serving, being on mission, seeking and doing what God has called us to. Now you can see, as Aaron and her were supporting Moses, and so it is with us, that we now, as we live in community, can support the weight that one person couldn't. And so the question for for you and I today is, are we able to find and seek and to involve those around us to support us as Moses brought Aaron and Hur into his life to support him in his time of need? And not only do we have and need community, but most importantly, we have Jesus, who is, as the writer to Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, therefore He, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through Him, because He, Jesus, always lives to intercede for them. We're so thankful that we have Jesus, who's at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Moreover, we also have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. Paul writes in romans 8 26 to 27 in the same way the spirit that helps us in our weaknesses we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for god's people in accordance to his will you know in the story of israel here we see the power of intercession i'd like to share a little story when uh, a man named George Mueller when he was 94 years old. He was a great man of faith If you haven't heard a story go read up on him He built orphanages in Bristol England and took care of over hundred uh, over 10,000 orphans And he totally lived by faith never asking for any, any money And as he was coming to near the end of his life He called out the name of one of his best friends that he's known since the age of 30 And that was for nearly 64 years and one of his close friends didn't want anything to do with God But George Mueller said, I prayed for him every single day all these years to accept Jesus Christ. A few days later, George died, and at the funeral, a friend who was taking care of him heard him pray. He saw George's friend attend the funeral, and the one who turned his back, didn't want anything to do with God, and after the funeral service, the man came up to the grave, knelt down, prayed, and gave his life to Jesus, because God Answers prayer and I love this this quote here people may spurn our appeals reject our message Oppose our arguments and despise our persons, but they are helpless Against our prayers how many can say amen. They are helpless against our prayers After the victory Moses built an altar. They and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner Now, Moses doesn't build a monument to himself or Joshua, Israel, but he was careful to give all the glory to God for Israel's victory. Anne Spangler says, talking about this banner, gives a great description of the ancient banner, what it was like. She says... Unlike fabric flags, ancient banners were made out of wood or metal or, and shaped like various figures or emblems that could be fashioned and put upon a staff or a long pole, usually depicting animals or birds or gods, and they would glisten brightly in the sun so that they could be seen from afar off. A banner carried at the head of an army or planted on a high hill served as a rallying point for the troops before battle or an announcement of victory already won. Because the banners embody the ideals and aspirations of whoever carried them, they aroused devotion and of, to a nation, a cause, or a leader. And so when Moses held up the staff of God in the battle against the Amalekites, he was holding a banner appealing to God's power. The idea is that God is victorious in battle, and the flag of his victory is lifted high. You know, that same word is actually used about the serpent on the pole in Numbers 21, verse 8. And it's also in other significant passages, like Psalm 60, verse 4, you have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of truth. In Isaiah 11, verse 10, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentile shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. And so by Israelites saying, the Lord is my banner, they were identifying themselves as his people, a unified group of followers of the Lord, in whom there was victory. Psalm 20 verse 5 says may we shout for joy over our victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God Jesus himself declared himself as a banner when he says in John 12 32 and if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men and women unto myself when we lift up Jesus He helps us fight the good fight of faith And when we lift up Jesus in our families in our community in our society He will help us to fight the battles. We're confronted and we victorious Moses also there, he puts an official entry into the record books that Israel would contend with Amalek until the nation was completely destroyed. It's an interesting side note in Exodus 17:4 that's the first mention in the Bible of the writing of official records. The Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now this was not the last battle mentioned with the Amalekites. God continued to war with them and gave much time for them to repent. Israel and the Amalekites battle through the time of the judges and the time of Saul's and David's kingdom and some indications point to a war being completed in the last days of the divided monarchy of Hezekiah and Some also scholars point out that some of the descendants of the Amalekites may have remained such as Haman in the book of Esther For us today there remains a constant battle with the flesh and the world and the devil and as I close today I want to share this key aspect of the sermon So how does knowing that God is my banner help me face the battles I endure? Moses provides us with this critical insight that I want to leave you with. In Exodus 17, verse 16, it says, "'For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord.'" Referring to Moses' intercession on the hill. What Moses was saying was this, "'My hand was on or at or touching Yahweh's throne.'" A way of signifying or saying, When I held up the staff, I was symbolizing the presence of Yahweh right with us, sitting on the throne, ruling over the battle, and helping us to win. As Moses lifted up uh, his hands with the staff, Yahweh's power flowed to defeat the Amalekites through a miraculous strengthening of Israel. And this divine source of strength is seen when Moses lowers his hand, Israel loses divine strength and begins to lose the battle. And so it is with our battles. Know the Lord is with you today. And his presence is with you. And when you symbolically lift up your hands, it it is a sign that you are touching God's throne and inviting God's presence into your lives. You are putting God in the center of your battle or your trial, and you're receiving the power and the grace of God into your life. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, Therefore I want that men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So how do we do it? Do We just lift up our hands and then suddenly everything will work out You know when the Jews prayed they would lift their hands the lifting of hands does not Automatically produce an answered prayer, but it's actually the heart posture of surrender and trust and praise So when you enter a battle or when you're in a battle know that the lifting of the hands like Moses did is to touch the throne of God It's a symbolic gesture, but it's a spiritual one he- Hebrews 4 verse 16 says let us then approach God's throne with grace the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So how do we experience Jehovah Nisi? The Lord is my banner. The one who gives victory. How do you touch the throne? How do you approach the throne? Well, the scripture says with confidence. And how do we approach with confidence? Confidence with, there's three options with praise. When you're in a battle, thank God for that battle or prayer. God help me in this battle most often it's both We thank God for the battle and the victory he gives and we also pray for his divine intervention and help again As I said before we don't pray to inform God We pray to involve God we genuinely experience surrender and trust when we pray to involve God in our life And so the question for us is how is our prayer life is it purely informational or instructional or is it invitational Is it inviting God's presence into our lives to involve him in our circumstances? You see, worry is a conversation that we have with ourselves about things we can't change. But prayer is a conversation that we have with God about things he can change. When you and I are in God's presence, God's voice stills us, leads us, assures us, uh, enlightens us, encourages us, comforts us, calms us, and convicts us. But when Satan voices, when we hear his voice, his voice rushes us, pushes us, frightens us, confuses us, discourages us, worries us, obsesses us, and condemns us. Someone once said, until God opens a door, praise him in the hallway. So whatever battles you're facing today, remember that God didn't remove the Red Sea. He parted it. And sometimes God doesn't remove your problems. He just makes a way through them. And because you and I have the Holy Spirit in us, our difficulties can't stop us. Other people can't break us. This world can't silence us. Our insecurities can't discourage us. And certainly the devil will not defeat us. I'll close with this story about a young man named Joseph Scriven. He was a man who experienced the friendship of Christ during a life filled with much trouble. As a young man in Ireland in about 1840, he and his intended bride accidentally drowned the evening before their wedding. He had begun training as a military cadet, but poor health forced him to abandon his dream and career in this field. Then he moved to Canada and he became a servant of the underprivileged, helping those who were physically handicapped and financially destitute. A tragedy continued to stalk him. And in 1857, he moved uh, near Port Hope. And once again, the plans of a wedding were cut short when his second fiancee died following brief illness it seemed that Joseph Scriven was destined to go through life knowing only the friendship of Christ and live a life experiencing loneliness and a meager pay for work and struggling through physical illness in Scriven's last illness a neighbor came to visit him one day and he had a manuscript of a hymn which he had written to comfort actually his mother in her time of sorrow and this hymn this manuscript was at his bedside and the neighbor asked Joseph if he had written it and he replied the lord and i did it was between us and the words of this hymn are very familiar to some of us very famous and it says this what a friend we have in jesus all our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry everything to god in prayer oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to god in prayer So will you this morning, reach to that throne, lift your hands in prayer and praise as a banner of allegiance and trust to the one who can save you, the one who can heal you, the one who can deliver you, the one who can provide for you. You see, God isn't asking you to figure it out. He's asking you to trust that he already has. One day we're gonna look back and be thankful that it went God's way and not ours. You know, if God will put so much detail To every snowflake, what makes you think that in our lives that we are less important? If you want victory this morning, call upon Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. The Lord draws to him under his banner, Christ. And as we touch his throne, come boldly to the throne of grace. Through prayer and praise, we enable God, through his divine power and strength and grace, to fight our battles. Would you you join with me? If you feel comfortable to pray this prayer that is displayed and join with me as we verbalize this prayer and pray in thankfulness to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege and joy it is to have the freedom in Christ, to draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy to find help in the time of need. We come to you in prayer, seeking your intervention and involvement. And with an attitude of praise and a gratitude of prayer for all that you've done, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, sure to hit that follow button to be notified when another episode releases thanks for taking the time and we'll see you soon